Coming to you live from Big Time Decent Studios, this is The Pawcast, a show all about those furry little companions we can't help but love. Now let me send it over to your hosts, Dr. Lauren and her loving assistant, David Epstein. Welcome to The Pawcast, a show all about pets, veterinary medicine, and all things animals. I am your host, Dr. Lauren, aka The Tiny Vet. I'm a veterinarian, internal medicine specialist, and eager educator. And I am David. I am still Dr. Lauren's husband. I'm an actor, passionate animal lover, and uh, I am here to ride on her lab coattails as her co-host for the podcast. On today's show, we will introduce you to Frank the Tank, a famous bear in California, and Narlugas. We will take some listener questions and, of course, finish with our favorite, some animal trivia. I have to cheer every time that comes on. I, say I love it. I love <laughs> David's favorite so segment. Yeah, it is. So first, David, I think we should probably let them know what the answer was to last week's trivia question that you asked. Ah, yes, of course. So the question of the week last episode was, how many teeth do normal adult dogs have? And our answers were A, 24, B, 16, C, 42, or D, 32. We got some great answers from all of you. Thank you for writing in. Um, now, drum roll, please, Lauren. I can't do that noise. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That was better. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, adult dogs have 42 permanent teeth. They're also known as secondary teeth. Um, so a little, uh, anyone who was closer to 24, puppies usually have 28 teeth. Now these are called deciduous or primary teeth. But the answer for adult teeth is 42. So good job Googling that, everybody. Yes, you can smile with those <laughs> chompers. Yes, I have Our... been bitten by all 42 <laughs> teeth yes. at some point. And probably also the 28 puppy teeth. Right. Those normally we get bit by more often. Which can be sharp, actually. The they're, yeah, little. Are, I feel needles. sharper. They're definitely sharper. Yeah. Especially when they're really little. They're like little tiny needles on you. But they're so cute. Anyways, <laughs> before a I get. puppy digression. Yeah. This, I feel like this happens anytime. Anytime puppies are going to be brought up, Dr. Lauren is just going to start doing just her like, like cute aggression. Yeah, major and, cute aggression. Just thinking about them. Yeah. Or just any animal. So. All right. Okay, let's talk about some news because I th think everyone, as soon as they heard the name Frank the Tank, was probably like, I want to know who Frank the Tank is. So, Not Will Ferrell. Not Will Ferrell. Damn. I do yeah. love what you love. Well, not cool. Will Ferrell, but kind of has the same energy. So, okay, let's hear it. So Frank the Tank is a 500-pound black bear that has been accused of breaking and entering into numerous homes in Lake Tahoe, California. And he was in some hot water because the California DFW was actually considering trapping and killing him for his accused crimes. Oh, my God. So this caused a major uproar in the animal welfare community, and people were, like, fighting to save his life and fighting to trap him and bring him to a sanctuary instead of having him killed, which, you know, reasonably so. A lot of the time these bears are only doing breaking and entering because, A, some of their resources are limited, and, B, you know, people have moved into the areas where they naturally inhabit. Mm. And then when they leave out garbage, you know, bears come. So anyways, I'm on the welfare community side, animal welfare community side. Um, however, 
That was unnecessary because DNA evidence from the crime scenes subsequently emerged that revealed that it was not one bear, but three individual bears that were responsible for the home break-ins, exonerating Frank the Tank as the prime suspect. Great. So Frank is free to live another day. Um, he doesn't need to be trapped. He doesn't need to be moved to a sanctuary. I mean, I think realistically in these situations, at some point, there's got to be some sort of intervention. But, geez, I can't believe they just... I'm, I'm just like, I'm curious now to see if it was, you know, a planned attack by these three bears. Is this like Ocean's Eleven? <laughs> yeah. Who, who is Danny Ocean? Bears Eleven. I think Frank Damon, the Tank. Yeah, Brad Frank the Tank has definitely got to be Danny. Oh, totally. Oh, well, I'm very happy to hear that... Uh, Frank the Tank is uh, is living to see another day. See another day and rob another couple of houses. Do you know what he was he was getting from the houses? I mean, I imagine jewelry. it wasn't their jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was probably their food. <laughs> okay, well, Frank the Tank, we're very happy with his uh, his story. Now, this is a story, another legendary animal. Um, now we've talked about my my past in the Vancouver Aquarium. Love bragging about it. Um, I was an employee there, and. Uh, in my time, I met many belugas, I've done whale watching, I've seen humpbacks and orcas, but one of the whales that I have never had the pleasure of seeing in the wild is everyone's favorite character from Elf, Mr. Narwhal, the unicorn of the sea, the horned whale. So as rare as it is to see a narwhal in the wild, um, it is even more rare to see a narwhal traveling with a pod of belugas and that is exactly what has happened to a beluga pod on the St. Lawrence River in Canada and since 2016 marine biologists have been studying this rare phenomenon which was a narwhal adopted by this pod of young male belugas it's been traveling with them eating with them and living with them cruising the St. Lawrence now now this is the interesting thing and I feel like we need to add a little uh bow chicka wow wow music in post but now the whale is becoming sexually mature and like the, 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 the well the, the, the pod, pod is because yeah this is a young group of belugas yeah, and narwhals belugas. and and just one narwhal though. one narwhal correct yeah all male all male okay. yeah and uh just and clarifying, this is a, a clarifying thing too is that <laughs> it is interesting that pods of whales typically at least with belugas travel in pods of their sex so male pods female pods, and then when it comes to uh, sexual maturity and they are mating, then they will lure in the females and begin okay, their so mating I, system. I think I, I see what you're getting at in a very roundabout way. In a roundabout way, what I'm trying to say is that there may be a narluga to come one of these days soon. So basically, because this narwhal is traveling with this pod of belugas, the thought is that scientists think he might actually mate with a beluga whale. That is the thought. So is that even possible? Okay, so it's it's actually would not be the first time in history this ever happened. In 2019, they found a skull that shared similar uh, similarities between the beluga and the narwhal, making them believe that there had been a narluga of the past. But this would be the first time that, that they're actually alive. seeing a live one. They have drone footage of these pods that they're already tracking that would be very cool so anyway. like a new species new living species yeah but the, the question the the thing that remains is this we're not sure how well adopted this narwhal narwhal has gotten with this belugas because 
Um, there's actually different vocalizations that happens between belugas that narwhals can't understand and vice versa. So whether it will actually be able to to lure seal the, the deal, seal the deal with uh, with the beluga will be upper upper questioning, but in the in the next coming months, which is pretty cool. You always find the most fascinating stories, David. <laughs> you are the... so authentic with your compliments. <laughs> no, seriously, it is cool. Narluga. I like that. Narluga or narwhal. I mean, narwhal. Any, if you have any ideas of, of what the, what they should the be combo named. should be. Yeah. Very cool. But it's interesting. It's like um, we, we've heard about ligers before. Oh, yeah, Lions sure. mating I mean... with tigers. And interestingly enough, usually a liger is bigger than both a lion and a tiger. The same thing was the case with that skull that was found back in 2019 of this narluga. It was bigger than beluga. It was bigger than a narwhal. So. I think I think David's now the expert on the topic. I think he should be <laughs> hired for this particular scientific study. All right. All right. Okay, expert David. <laughs> I think it's time we go to some listener questions. So... We ask you, what would you like to know? Anything from animals to veterinary medicine. And I am here to at least attempt to answer those questions for you. So I think David. Um, I think it's, yeah, it, it's, I think I'm more suited to ask the question. Why don't you answer them? Yeah, I would, I would wholeheartedly agree with Unless that. Unless there's a Narluga question. That's on me. Yeah, that's you. <laughs> All right. This question comes in from Ashley May Clark. Should my dogs be on any supplements or probiotics? Great question, Ashley. So if your dog is eating a well-balanced diet, particularly, you know, like a commercial dog food that's been through the AFCO, you know, the guidelines that are set forth by the minimum requirements for minerals, uh, nutrients. Just, what is AFCO? Oh, God, you're putting me on the spot there. But American it, Association the, of Food. Okay, it's yeah, the stamp it's like, of approval. It's a stamp of approval gotcha. on food, on food, uh, on diets in dogs okay. and cats. So they have to meet minimum requirements. Like there has to be this much calcium. There has to be this much phosphorus. These are the protein. And so that's why, you know, when you get a, a food, it's gone through those requirements. So typically those type of uh, products, you don't really need to add any supplements to them. Now, if you are home cooking for your dogs, okay. if you're making their food, if you're using programs where, you know, you're feeding them raw or you're feeding them cooked home diets, most of those have not gone through a vigorous balancing act. And so most of the time when people are home cooking or using those type of diets, they need to be balanced. Mm. And so there are programs online like Balance It or Hillary's Blend where you can put in the ingredients you're using and it'll show you if it's balanced or not. Studies have shown that like 99% of homemade diets are not balanced appropriately. And so in those cases, it's really important that we do supplement. And so there are these multivitamin mixtures that you can add to the food. It's especially important for your really large breed growing dogs. They have very specific calcium and phosphorus requirements, and they're really prone to orthopedic disease if they're not feeding a balanced diet. And so supplements are super important for those situation. Oh, that's good to know. But most of the time you don't need to give your dog a multivitamin if it's eating, you know, a, a produced diet. No Flintstones gummies? No. Now probiotics. Best. Yeah. Flint's, yeah. They don't get the Flintstones. Um, and I would definitely recommend if you are sup giving supplements using a veterinary brand, you're not going to want to just go to the store and get a human multivitamin. That can be dangerous too, because you might be giving them too much calcium or phosphorus. And so there are veterinary nutritionists out there to provide you with the help and knowledge if you choose to home cook or, you know, make your own food. Um, and then probiotics. I mean, that's an interesting question. 
personally. Um, I mean, I think a lot of people and dogs would benefit from probiotics. I use probiotics in a lot in my chronic GI cases. Uh, there's things that are actually, there are dogs that have probiotic responsive diarrhea. And so there are conditions where probiotics are indicated. The key again with probiotics is regulation. You can go onto Amazon, you can go online and find, you know, hundreds of different animal probiotics that have not been through any real uh, quality control. So when I'm using probiotics, again, I typically reach for the veterinary branded ones where I know that they've been tested and have been, you know, studies to show that they are useful. So um, always talk to your veterinarian when it comes to any sort of supplement, balancing your diet, they can, they can be there to help you because you always want to do, you know, be proactive when it comes to that type of thing and not regret it later when, you know, you have have an illness that you've diagnosed because too little too late yeah exactly so yeah well that is a great answer to that um this one comes from candace aka salty dog pet sitting um is there a certain age where you feel pet owners should be doing annual blood work so yes the answer is yes i would say that you know it depends on the, the dog, though. Obviously, we know that, you know, small dogs age slower than old than bigger dogs. And so, you know, what is middle-aged for a big dog versus a small dog? I generally say eight years is kind of considered when I would start doing annual blood work, particularly in smaller dogs, maybe earlier in some of the larger breed dogs, okay. maybe closer to five or six. Because annual blood work, and don't forget urinalysis, urine is really important as well to identify, you know, conditions like kidney disease and age-related conditions. So, you know, I I always do annual blood work on my dogs um, starting at about five years of age. But obviously, anytime something might be off or you notice a behavior change as well. So why is that, by the way, that that larger dogs tend to have less of a lifespan than the small ones? So that's something that we're actually going to get into a little bit next episode. Um, But, uh, you know, there's a lot we don't know about dog aging, but in general, the bigger the dog, you know, the the more the heart has to work to support the body. And so just like in people, we know that on average, you know, people who are really tall and really big often don't live as long. I don't have that problem. (laughs) Yeah, you definitely don't be. Five foot five. Oh, wow. You're rounding down now. Usually he rounds up to five foot six. So that's, uh, that's, uh, I guess he's married now, so he feels like he can just yeah, be his show true and anymore. honest self. And my wife is four foot 11, so it's fine. I'm not. I have five feet and a half. And a half. Maybe even There's three quarters. <laughs> okay, another question. This one comes from Piper Ella, the Elk Hounds. Uh, why has there been such an increase in health issues in dogs? My two are worth 80000 at only four and five years. That is a lot That's of a money, lot of money. To spend on I actually, <laughs> I actually treated, I know who that is. Wow. Uh, in Calgary, I treated one of her dogs, and I think the other dog is now being treated. They're both elk hounds. I mean, I think that's kind of a complicated question. You know, I think the first thing is that we're identifying a lot more issues and disease in veterinary medicine, and we're treating a lot more of it. You know, back... I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. And I mean, it still happens in certain parts of the world where a dog is sick and it's like, okay, we put them down. That's what Mm. happens. But nowadays with people, especially in North America and Canada and the U.S., their dogs are considered family members. And so, you know, people are willing to spend the money and hopefully have insurance to be able to spend that money in diagnosing and managing these disorders. And so I'm not 
sure that it's necessarily an increase in the amount of diseases we're seeing rather than recognizing them and actually being willing to treat them. But of course, I think part of that definitely comes into play with pure purebred animals. Okay. You know, sometimes breeding it can select for these undesirable characteristics, um, which, you know, I think we'll probably get into at some point on this podcast, but I'll leave it at that for now. But, you know, some breeds are definitely what we consider these disaster breeds, which, you know, have be gotten to the point where probably it's not humane to continue breeding mm. them. So do we have any disaster breeds at home? No, ours are perfect. <laughs> Our perfect children. Okay, so here's another one. Um, this is a question from Mozzie the Labradoodle. What is the best way to handle a dog who is a picky eater? I think it's so funny we too. We definitely do not have that problem. Yeah, we don't have that, that problem. They're like all. garbage dumps. But I think it's so funny that these questions, it's like Mozzie's asking the question. I think it's Mozzie's mom that's asking the question probably. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. These are Instagram questions, hence why Mozzie is asking us why. What, what should we do about my picky eating? Um, so that's a hard question because there are some breeds that in general tend to be pickier. Like I get a... You know, probably once a month I get a toy poodle coming in for just being a picky eater because they are picky that way. Um, it's very rare to find a golden retriever who's a picky eater. Mm -hmm. You know, some breeds just ha are more prone to digestive issues and picky appetite. So I think the first thing that I would recommend is you know, a health evaluation, making sure there's no underlying cause for that picky eating. You know, maybe that dog has food allergies and maybe they ha are living in a constant state of kind of gastrointestinal upset that's contributing to their not wanting to eat. Maybe it's a behavioral thing. You know, maybe you're not feeding them the type of food that they like. So it can be challenging though. I mean, I, I deal with, you know, a good portion of my clients, whether they have issues or not that are picky eaters. And, you know, I think the challenge is the instinct is to try and continue to change their food and change their food and change their food. But sometimes that can contribute to the problem. So mm. um, first step, make sure there's no medical issues for it. Second step, you know, just try at least to be consistent with diet and try and find that particular, you know, uh, combination of things that might help. Because well, your thought is that eventually an animal that is hungry will eat the food that they wouldn't necessarily choose to eat. And next thing you know, they're getting that muscle memory of I eat what isn't put in front of to me. To an extent. I mean, I definitely have patients that also just refuse to eat, um, you know, or they get trained if they don't eat their food that mom's going to bring me some chicken and rice and mm. I'm going to eat that. So I think part of it also, we fall into a pattern as owners of perpetuating the problem. Good answer. Okay, so this is from a dog that I know. Who typed this to us? Chia the Griffin. Who typed this to us with her boss? Chia, Chia <laughs> the Griffin typed this question. What protein do you find dogs are allergic to the most? It's a nice little piggyback to the last question. Yeah, about it is great. So allergies in pets, it's a common misconception that dogs are, you know, commonly allergic to grains or corn or things like that. That is very, 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 very uncommon. In the vast majority of cases, when a dog has allergies, it's to the protein in the diet. Okay. And so we know that based on several studies, it's usually the protein that they have allergies to. There are rare cases like Irish setters, which have gluten intolerance. So there are these rare cases, but in general, it's the protein. So Chia's already on the mark with saying what are the protein sources that are most likely to cause allergies. And I would say 
By far and away, chicken is going to be the most common allergen. Oh, really? I always thought that that most dogs go with chicken to avoid allergies. I mean, I think a lot of people will say, oh, chicken and rice, like a bland diet, because chicken can be quite bland. But in dogs that are prone to allergies, chicken is, tends to be the most allergenic huh. protein. Um, beef, really commonly as well. Um, and so, you know... The, that would probably be, you know, when people come into me and say, oh, I just have him on chicken. It's like, well, that might be the problem is because it might be the, that might be the issue. So chicken mm. and beef, you know, when we're using hypoallergenic diets, we're often reaching for alternative proteins like kangaroo, um, crocodile is a common Ooh, one now. Fancy. Talk about, talk yeah. about picky eating when you get those gourmet I know. meats like that. White By the way, fish. alligator is delicious. I've had it before. I had it once at the Tennessee fair and I, I don't it. think I ate it the right way because it wasn't and delicious. frog legs. Anyways, <laughs> the problem is nowadays that so many dogs have been exposed to so many different types of proteins because you go to the grocery store and you're like, oh, this is a duck diet. This is a venison diet. It's like none of those are now novel to dogs because they just, you can walk into any store and get those things. So when we're looking for novel proteins, we do have to reach for like the kangaroo and crocodile. So it can make for some interesting and expensive bags of dog food. But I think that wraps up our uh, Q&A. That's a Q&A. Thank you all for submitting such awesome questions. Yeah. And, uh, and please do not hesitate to reach out. We love hearing these questions. And I love asking them. And Lauren loves answering them. I do. I love talking. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> so next up, as per usual, David's favorite section. Trivia time. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to ask my question first today. Okay. Go for it. Okay, my question is as follows. Are you paying attention to me? I am. I'm also trying to find my my trivia questions. Which I, know. I, I know David can't multitask, which is why I'm making sure he's paying go. attention. I'm, I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready. What animal has the highest blood pressure? Is Ooh. it the blue whale? Okay. The elephant. Okay. The flea. Or the giraffe. Blue whale, elephant, flea, or giraffe. Whoa, we are on a large spectrum of size here. So this is, a, it's hard to, to narrow down. Um, out of, so out of all those animals, I, if we're going the big root, we've got the whale, the largest one. Um, blood pressure, I mean, I think to, to try and circulate that big body, that makes sense to have blood pressure, but maybe with that big body, it's hard to actually maintain a high pressure. So I might actually go the opposite way and say flea. Final answer? Final answer. No, no, no. I don't like that face. Oh, boom, boom. He's wrong. Second episode in a row where David's been wrong. <laughs> okay, what is it? It is the giraffe. Oh. So because of its extremely long neck, the giraffe mm. must rely on its oversized heart, which is two feet long and 25 pounds, to pump all the blood, you know, all the way up to its head. And because of that, it has the highest blood pressure of any animal with an average of 280 over 180 millimeters of mercury at, at heart level. Wow. And what that means is they're actually, I didn't know this, I'm not an exotic vet, but they're actually prone um, to heart attacks because of their high blood pressure. So that's a common reason why giraffes die, apparently, which, wow. yeah, I didn't know. But their blood pressure is like twice that of an average human. So that is, yeah, that. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Sorry. To make you feel better, when I originally read the question, I thought flea too, because I just thought it was going to be one of those like crazy, but then it makes sense with the No, it totally neck. does. Yeah. I wish I thought about it more. Dang it. Okay. <laughs> hit me with yours. Oh, yes. Mine. Okay. Um, here is a question. 
How long can a Galapagos tortoise survive without food or water? A day? A week? A month? Or even a year? <laughs> a uh, year. <laughs> is the, is, so a, a day, day, a week, B, a week. month, yeah. or a year. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I feel like, well, we know that they live forever. So that would make me think that they're, like, somehow able to live off of very little because you know if they live that long then they have to be able to survive very like harsh conditions so I feel like this doesn't seem likely but I'm going to go with a year I feel like maybe they go into some weird like hibernation I think I think you're on the right the right um I was wrong trajectory no you're right actually oh. ding 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 I should oh. I should have started with a ding ding yeah. ding Ding, ding, you're ding. on the right trajectory, but you're wrong. You're on the right trajectory because I don't have that much of an answer other than Galapagos, Galapagos tortoises sleep for 16 hours a day. There we go. And can go a year without food or water. So yeah, maybe it is just it this is kind yeah. Of they're basically state well, it's that like they're in. like bears too, right? Yeah, I mean bears that can go into you know hibernation and live for that long. Well, I was right. So yeah. there we go. So there's our trivia. Well, no, oh, wait, we oh. have one more, one okay. more for the listeners. For the listeners. Okay, this is a fun one. You're going to have the honor? Yeah. Um, so the question for the listeners is, which dog yodels instead of barks? Is it the Commodore, the Otter Hound, the Basenji, or the Basset Hound? Good job, David. So <laughs> Commodore. That was the actual sound effects of the dog, wasn't it? Yeah, it sounds exactly like that. Commodore, Otter Hound, Basenji, Basset Hound. Let us know which one of those you think is right. Um, we will honor you with pride and we will let you know what the answer is on our next episode. So that's all for the show this week. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast wherever you download your podcasts, like and uh, follow us on YouTube. I am Dr. Lauren. And I am David. And, and this, this is, is the, the podcast. podcast.